0: Do we have that? Is that on? There we go. Okay, um, I'm going to skip through the first part because we already did that. I don't want to do. I don't want to rehash last week's sermon. But can we trust the Bible? I told you this is not a technical sermon. We could do that, and, and you'd be all bored out of your skull. This is a practical sermon on. How do we get the Bible as we know it? The books that they claim are banned from the Bible simply never were a part of the Bible to start with. They were not inspired. In fact is, if you want, you can turn to second um, Peter um, chapter one, uh, starting at verse twenty right now, and then we 'll get back and then we 'll go to first Thessalonians and we 'll look at that but The scriptures that we have were scripture from the moment they were penned, not something new. The church didn't decide what was scripture. They simply recognized what was already true. That's what we're looking at. Can you trust the Bible is the main thing. I want you to be in the Bible. Joe said his little song that he did, uh, Great Reminder. It's a roadmap, but it's more than that. It is God's word to us. It's what God says about himself and what he tells us to do and how to be saved and everything. That's what it is. We can trust it. If you can't trust the Bible, why in the world would you study it? Why in the world would you want to listen to somebody teach it? Why in the world would you put it into practice in your life? And why would you encourage someone else? Hopefully when you're done here, you'll have a little bit better grip on why we know the Bible is true and how we can know that we have uh, what God wants us to know. If you're in 2 Peter, Peter chapter 1, uh, this is where it ended last week. We had talked about the standards or the parts uh, that were used to determine which were the real books. Uh, the first was uh, and these are not none of them are exclusive, they all work together, was it written by a recognized prophet or apostle? We looked at people like the Apostle Paul. We looked at Moses and those kinds of things. Was it authentic? In other words, uh, was the person an eyewitness? We talked about Peter. He not only was with Christ in his ministry and could report on that and write on that, but he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Christ in a way that only two other people saw him transfigured before them. Moses went up into the mountain and came down and said, I've met with God. And they could see that he met with God. Was it authentic? Luke said, I have researched and I researched firsthand witnesses and I am writing to you the exact truth. We're going to see that he uses that word again in chapter 24 when we get to it. Is it authentic? The one where we're at today was it received from the beginning of his existence as the Word of God, from the very first time it was received. Not that's not who wrote it, but who was written to in this case. Before we go there, I promise you that I would end, uh, begin where I ended last week. It says this in Second um, Peter chapter one verse twenty. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. People look at that, and I have had this thrown in my face I don't know how many times. You would tell somebody something from the Bible. You'd say, that's sin, or this is what God wants you to do, or this is the right way to view that, or this is how you get saved. Well, that's your interpretation. I'm going to tell you right now, if it's simply my interpretation... Well, they're right. It's my opinion. Everybody has one. But the Bible is very unique. When it gives a principle or it states something, it always gives the definition. Now, you may not know it yet, but keep studying because that's the way it works. I've found that. I've been a Christian for almost 40 years now, and every time I study it, I say, Oh, there's the key. I I never got that one before. You know, and it's like, okay, now that makes sense. Well, hopefully that's the way it is for you too. But in this case, this is a real easy one how do I know what the word interpretation means? By the way, it means production of Scripture. How do I know that? Look at verse 21. It gives us the definition, the explanation for that word. So let's read it again and read it with you understanding that right now. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by God spoke, by by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Notice what it says. No scripture was of human production. No human being ever created scripture. No human being ever on his own wrote scripture. Now, we looked last week, and we'll look at it again this week, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed or inspired by God. Just like I'm speaking, God spoke it. Men wrote it down. God used men. He used their culture, their background, their personality. He used all of those things. But he spoke exactly what he wanted to speak. In this case, it gives us the behind the scenes. How did that work? It was the Holy Spirit moving them along. The Holy Spirit was the one that helped them and put into practice in their lives, the writing of scripture. As we mentioned last week, yes, they did indeed know that the words they were writing were scripture when they were writing them. We'll see that again in a different way this week. But notice what it says. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. So nobody ever sat down and said, I'm going to write scripture. This is not a collection of the best religious writings of Christianity. This is, as the Word of God itself says, moved by the Holy Spirit to write this. God breathed it. God spoke it. We know that in um, many different ways from the Old Testament. We know that from the New Testament. We're going to look at a little bit in both of those as we look at this this morning. But uh, we're going to look at number three, and that's where I quit last week. Was it received as God's Word from the very beginning and was it collected as the truth of God and not man's words? In the Old Testament, it's very clear. They knew that Moses had been with God. They believed. Because remember, Moses came down the first time. What was written on stone was written there by God himself. Now, Moses got angry and uh, took things into his own hands, threw it down and broke it. Next time he went back up, God said, okay, uh, you're going to do the chiseling this time. And Moses had to chisel it in. But the people knew, in fact, is so much. They said, speak to this yourself. We don't want to speak directly to God. You speak to us. They recognized that God was speaking directly through Moses. And, of course, he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'd like you to go there, if you would, please. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 5. Uh, this is a representative uh, view of what the scripture says about itself and how it says about itself and how we know that it was god's word this is not complete i'm going to tell you that right now uh, we don't have that much time that's a whole class in itself but it says in first thessalonians chapter one verse five for our gospel good news okay the message that they had the good news they had did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. They said, we not only spoke these words, but it was by the power, it was in power and by the Holy Spirit. We already saw that the Holy Spirit was the one that led them uh, to write the scriptures, but it says it came with full conviction. And by the way, our lives backed it up. And that's not what we're looking at. And then it goes on to say, and you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. Notice it doesn't say our word or a word or whatever we had to say. It says the word. So I'm very specific. It refers back to the gospel. You received it for what it really was. It was the word. And how do I know what that word is? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Well, where did he get the word of the Lord? We just saw that. The apostle Paul brought it to them. They received it immediately as what it was, the word of the Lord. It wasn't Paul's opinions. It wasn't his companion's interpretation. It was indeed the word of the Lord. And it doesn't stop there because uh, Paul goes on in Second Thessalonians to say this. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, "'Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him.'" that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. Notice what he says. He is acknowledging that even in his time, there were many others who had other messages. And the apostle Paul says, there's only one right message. That's the one we gave you. If you remember from last week, there were hundreds, even thousands of other letters and gospels and epistles that were written. The Apostle Paul says, yep, there are a lot of other ones. There's other messengers, there's other spirits, there's other letters. But you know what? If it isn't from us, it's not the real thing. That's what he says. And it doesn't stop there because it goes on uh, when you get to second Thessalonians chapter three, again, picking up at verse one, it says this, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. So the Apostle Paul says, and he's take, I'm taking all this together, the Apostle Paul says, we brought you the gospel. It is the word. It is the word of the Lord. And he makes it clear that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. These people knew, the Apostle Paul knew that he was giving them the word of the Lord. These people received it as the word of the Lord immediately. And what did they do with it? They treated it as the word of the Lord, because all of Macedonia and Achaia heard it also. So what they did is they took what the apostle Paul gave them, which is called the word of the Lord here. It's called the gospel. It's called the word. And they not only received it as that, the word from God, but they turned around and said, whoa, this is the real thing. We need to give it to other people. You see, I'm all for you having devotions, spending time in the Word daily, as Joe reminded us. But if that's all you ever do, you just get a head full of knowledge. There's nothing wrong with a head full of knowledge. But if that's all, the further it goes, you don't really believe it's important. If you really believe it's important, you're going to be compelled by the Holy Spirit, by your own acknowledgement. Because if something is real, you want to tell some other people. If somebody, if there's a danger, we want to tell other people there's danger. If there's something good, we want to tell other people. If something great happens in their life, we want to tell other people. If you really believe it's the word of God, you'll want to tell other people. They did it from the very beginning. But there's one more thing in this passage, and we're down in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. And now look at the last phrase, and not according to the tradition which you've received from us. Now I got to tell you that the word tradition usually causes some anguish in my mind. But tradition is just a good word, it's how it's used and the context that matters. For example, Jesus said to the people in his day, he says, you set aside the commandments of God and you live according to the tradition of man. Bad news. That not only fogs what God did, but sometimes outright contradicts what God has said. Tradition of man, it can be a problem. By the way, all tradition of man is not bad, but if it contradicts the word of God, it is can be deadly because it takes the place. But the Apostle Paul called what he did tradition. Simply means what is handed down. What I handed down to you is God's tradition. It's the word. And in this case, it's used perfectly in a good sense and a right sense. And he calls it, he says, our tradition, what we have handed down, what you have, not only we have handed it to you, but you received it from us. They took what the the apostle Paul knew what he was doing. He knew he was speaking on behalf of the Lord. He was moved along by the Holy Spirit. It was God breathed and they received it as such from the very beginning. You cannot go back and repeat that. It was either received or it wasn't. You might call this universal acceptance, and maybe that's a, not the best term to use because not everybody received it. As you well know, the books of Thessalon, uh, to the Thessalonians were only written to the Thessalonians. The people at Corinth didn't have it, but the people at Corinth had a couple of books written to them, and the people at Ephesus had a book written to them, and the Galatian churches had a, books, a book written to them. You see, and until they all came back together, you cannot have the completed canon. But all of those from the beginning were the Word of God. They didn't become the Word of God when somebody, uh, a couple hundred years later, put them all together and said, Oh, now we decided what the Word of God is. No, it was already the Word of God. They simply recognized it as such and put it all together. Again, this is not technical. This is. Was it read and used? We could go back to the passages I just looked at, and they obviously read it. They obviously used it. But I want to use a couple other passages because I want to spread this out as much as possible and look at the broadest sense. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, I already referred to verse 16, but if you want to turn there, I'd 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 encourage you to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. uh, Most of us know verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. We know that one. But we don't normally look at 14 and 15. I'm going to challenge you in that direction this morning. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice what it says. Here's a young pastor, younger guy, younger than Paul. I don't know his age. He wasn't a teenager, but he was not an old guy. And Paul writes to him and says. You know what? Remember what your mother taught you? Remember what your grandmother taught you? And if you look at the context, you'll know that's where that comes from. And he says, you learned them, you became convinced of them, you know where you got them from. And then he says this, and, and, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? It's referring to the Old Testament. Didn't have the New Testament. Might have had a bit of piece of it, but it's referring basically to the Old Testament. And it says in there that the Old Testament, the sacred writings, give you wisdom that leads to salvation. And if you don't believe that, we're going to look at Jesus' words here in a few moments uh, and how he refers to that. But he says, you've known them and they were able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy... When you studied the Old Testament, you came to faith in Christ. Now, they looked ahead to the work of Christ. We have a privilege they never had because we can look back on the finished work of Christ. They didn't have that privilege. But the Old Testament very much pointed to what Christ would do. Just a few passages. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 53. uh, Yeah, 53. Many of the Psalms, Psalm 16, for example. We're going to look at those a little bit later. But they pointed to what the Messiah would do. Anyone looking at that would know that a Savior was coming, that he would die, he would suffer, and he would rise again. If you read the Old Testament, you would know those things. And they required, by the way, Everyone has always gotten saved by trusting in the Messiah, whether in the Messiah, whether before or after the cross that 's the only way you can be saved so that 's referring in essence to the Old Testament. In fact is when it says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for uh, <clears throat> excuse me, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's, in essence, referring to the Old Testament. But by way of application, it also will fit the New Testament. We'll look at that also. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's the first day of the church. Peter is preaching. And then it says that after he had preached that first evangelistic sermon, 3,000 people trusted Christ. It says, this is what happened. And it's very interesting what happened. It says in verse 42, they were, continually devo- they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, teaching, and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you devote yourself to something, you make it your focus. And that's what they were doing. They were reading it. They were studying it. They were applying it to their lives. That's what they were doing. Who wrote the New Testament? Basically, the apostles. And what he is saying is from the very first day of the church, the very beginning of the church, they focused on what the apostles had written. And they looked at it and, as, this is the word of God. So from the very beginning, it was seen as the word of God. But what about, does it contradict? And that is a really big one here. Is there anything contradictory in this book from what was already established? And I'd like to take you, and we could do this in a whole bunch of different directions, but I'm going to make it as simple as possible. Let's just basically look to the Old Testament just for our purposes here. And I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 24. I already told you Luke said he examined everything. He searched it out. He wanted to tell Theophilus the exact truth of what what went on in the life of Christ. And so Luke is writing, and in verse 24, uh, this is after the crucifixion, Uh, picking it up at verse 24, it says, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. I I like the way Luke just goes back and says, oh, by the way, it was exactly the way it was told to them. They saw everything exact. Verse 25, and he said to them, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself from all the scriptures. Again, we're back at the Old Testament. But Jesus is taking the Old Testament and says, you know what? When you look back at the Old Testament, if you don't see me in there, you're not reading it. He was saying, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it was in the Old Testament. In fact, it gets better than that yet as we go through this passage, because pick it up again in verse 44 of that same chapter. He said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. If you don't know this, the Jewish people broke the Old Testament up basically into three sections. The Law, the Prophets, and the the Writings. Psalms were a part of that. So what he's doing at this point is including all three sections. It's not talking about any specific verses or anything like that. But it's taking the whole Old Testament and bringing it in and saying, you know what, the whole Old Testament really spoke of me. And then it goes on to say in verse 46... I'm sorry, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, referring to the Old Testament. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He said, look at the Old Testament. You have just seen in front of you the fulfillment of these things. Peter, as we have talked about last time, uh, when he talks about the Apostle Paul, and this is 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 14. I'm not going to go over it, we did last week. But he said, you know, the Apostle Paul spoke some things that were really hard to understand. He gave you wisdom, but they were hard to understand. And it says, in all his letters speaking... In them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their destruction. Peter himself says what the Apostle Paul said is equal to the Old Testament scriptures. He said, as they do the rest of the scriptures. In any language, that says they're the equivalent. We already looked at what Paul said to Timothy about the Old Testament. He says, No, they pointed to Christ. They gave you wisdom to salvation. But the last one I'd like to do this morning, because we are going to be celebrating the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, most specifically the death of Christ for our sins when we partake of the Lord's Supper. But looking back at what Jesus said, because Luke chapter 24 is not the only place that he makes it clear. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. You go, Well, that doesn't prove anything. That's what I said. This is not a technical sermon. We could go back and look at all these things. And he quoted from almost all of the Old Testament scriptures. But not all of them. But we could do all that. I'm not going to do that. It's just this. Jesus put his confirmation, his stamp of approval, and said the Old Testament is real. Peter said, no, the Old Testament and what Paul wrote were equal. And in John chapter 5, verse 39 Jesus says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. Jesus said, the Old Testament testifies of me. And I mentioned earlier that when it says all scriptures inspired by God, it's referring specifically to the Old Testament, and it is but did it also give an opening big enough to drive a truck through that there was more to come? The answer is Jesus did. Sometimes we take this next passage and talk about something very personal about it. I'm not sure that that's not true, but the direct interpretation of John chapter 14 verse 26, it says, but when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It's in essence, a preauthorization for those that were ministering with him to write in the future. And notice what it says. It doesn't say, and you will have the best memories ever. It says the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind the things that you need to write the things that I have already said to you. And when you look at it you realize that when they were writing it's exactly what they were doing. They were writing down the the the, the scripture is very clear. They were moved. By the way that word is also used in the book of Acts where it's a ship a, a sailing ship that is Taken along by the wind. That's what the Holy Spirit did. He pushed them along just like a wind pushes a a sailboat. That's what he was doing. But on top of that, Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, God is the one that spoke it. It's God breathed. God produced. It's the scripture from the very beginning. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I didn't have to do all the research and and put this all together. Someone else has done it. They've done it for many, many years, but we can look back. But there's one more, and I find this one very interesting. And and, uh, you say, does the New Testament quote the New Testament? There's an interesting passage. I think I knew about this in the past, but as I was studying, it came to me uh, again. I, I don't know where I picked it up. But the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, he's talking about those that get paid in ministry. It says this, for the scripture says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. That is definitely a quote from the Old Testament from the law. In other words, if you are working an animal, it has the right to eat. Okay? You don't muzzle the oxen because the oxen is putting out a lot of energy. You let the oxen eat. The oxen gets a paycheck, gets whatever to eat. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. It's not a quote from the Old Testament. Guess where it came from? It came from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, because he was sending out those that would represent him and says, stay in that home, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep keep on moving from house to house. He said, as you go out in the ministry, into the vineyard, into the field with my truth. He says, go someplace and stay there. And don't feel bad about it that they're putting you up. Because the laborer is worthy of his wages. The apostle Paul is quoting from Luke from the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. kind of interesting. And there's a whole lot more than this. But, but that should, I hope, give you enough to go, yeah, do I really have the word of God? Because there are those that are saying, well, you don't really have it all. You know, some of it that should be in there is not there and all those kinds of things. It's just not true. Because God, from the very moment it was produced, said, I produced it. My Holy Spirit is the one that gave them the words. The people that received it said, yeah, this is the word. They understood that from the very beginning. Hasn't changed. All they did was recognize them and, and compile them. That's the difference. So with that in mind, I challenge you one more time. What are you going to do with the word of God this year? I'm glad you came this morning. A lot of people didn't brave the weather. They thought it was going to rain. Maybe it will. You might slide home. I don't know. Uh, I hope you don't. But at the same time, what are you going to do with the Word of God? I hope you come to church. I hope you come to Sunday school class, Bible study, youth group. You know, I hope you do all of those things. Are you going to be in the Word of God yourself? Are you going to read it? Are you going to put it into practice? That's my my main concern. But I can trust it. This morning, we are going to have the men gather as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. As I have mentioned many, many times, and I'll do it one more time, is this is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Supper of Garden Chapel. We are simply celebrating it. It is the Lord's Supper. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is for you. This is for you if you're living in fellowship with the Lord known sin and you haven't confessed it this is not for you because it says if you're doing that you're eating and drinking judgment unto yourself we give some dire consequences many are a number are weak and sick and a number sleep which means they died because they're representing something that's not true because it says that when we drink the cup we are proclaiming his death until he comes we're saying look what christ has done for me he saved me he's given me a life worth living and I'm being just a spiritual hypocrite. It's just don't take communion. By the way, nobody's going to judge you. You need to judge yourself. Examine your life. Sift it. Make sure you're living in fellowship with God and fellowship with others. If you're fighting with somebody, this is not for you. It's dangerous. I'm not. I'm not trying to be dramatic. That's what the Bible says. If you don't believe me, look it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's what it says. My job is just to tell you what God says. But as we come, we are a thankful people. Thankful for what he has done for us. And proclaiming in front of everybody else. We understand the death of Christ. We have participated in it. And we want everyone else to know. We have that life. As the men come forward, I just encourage you, just bow your heads. Make sure, examine your life before the Lord for the next moment or two to make sure that indeed you're living worthy of what Christ has done for you. As we begin our communion service i'm going to ask brother dan if he would thank the lord for the body that he gave on our behalf <clears throat> dear lord just uh thank you this morning that we can come in your presence uh lord i just thank you for your body that was broken for us um, on our behalf but thank you that it did not end there uh thank you that uh, uh three days later you rose again and uh conquered sin lord uh, thank you uh for for doing it on our behalf and the love that you showed us thank you lord Amen. The night when Jesus began to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, he did something very different. He turned it into the Lord's Supper. And it says, in the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. i ask Brother Chris if he would thank the Lord for his shed blood. Lord God, this morning as we come before you, we're thankful. Um, Lord, we're sinners, and Lord, we're in need of a Savior. And Lord, we know that your word says, um, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we know that you're the one, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of all the world, uh, to all who believe in you. And thank you, God, for your love and faithfulness towards us. And we just do pray, God, that we would also um, show unconditional love towards others as we serve you. We ask this in your name. Amen. That evening before he died, when he celebrated the Passover, after the Passover meal, he took the cup and he offered it to them and gave thanks and said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. If you would please rise as we close in a word of prayer. Father, you're a great God. You've provided everything for us. Through Jesus Christ, we have salvation, payment of sin, eternal life. Through the word of God, we have information of who you are, what is right for us, how to minister, and, Lord, how to live for you. And most of all, the knowledge of how to be saved. Lord, even in the Old Testament, he was able to give wisdom unto salvation. Thank you for that. And today we thank you that we can celebrate that finished work of Jesus Christ. And not only celebrating what happened 2,000 years ago, but we can celebrate what is happening in our lives today. That Jesus Christ has forgiven our sin. That we have a life that's worth living. And a message that's worth giving. Lord, I pray that we would continually proclaim Jesus Christ and his death until he comes again. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.